welcome to the Cyborg Repair Manual. I'm Maddie, an ex-internet addict, six years in recovery. On this show, I look into the science behind habit change and mental well-being and talk about how to stop wasting time scrolling and use technology to realize your ideal self. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about a crucial moment in surfing binges, the brief point in time when you realize you're in a rabbit hole and you have the choice to do something else besides scroll. Learning how to make the most of this moment was a real turning point in my recovery where I began to actually see progress instead of feeling like I was hopelessly struggling and not getting anywhere. First, I did just want to touch on the format of the show. Rudy is busy with college, so for the time being, I'm going to be making solo episodes. As much as I am really sad that he's not my co-host anymore, I'm proud that he's feeling better enough to be pursuing other things in his life, so it's a good thing. However, I have a hyper fixation on this topic, you're definitely stuck with me. (laughs) So I would like to have guests come on the show. So stay tuned for that. Just a quick disclaimer that I'm a peer supporter, not a professional. So anything I say is just my experiences and what I would do if I was starting over. So take it with a grain of salt. And if you're really struggling, I definitely recommend seeking out professional treatment. So speaking of that period of time in which you come out of zombie mode and you have the choice to do something else. Um, I really started thinking about this topic when I was on a trip. And usually when I'm on a trip, I'm browsing less. So I always disable my blockers in case like someone, in case like I'm with a friend and they want me to check out a website or a YouTube video or something. I don't want to have to explain to them that I have half of the internet blocked. Um, So I usually turn my blockers off before I went to a trip. And uh, this time I actually had a lot of free time that I wasn't prepared for where either I was awake before my friend or they were on their phone and I just didn't have anything else to do. So I ended up falling into a YouTube rabbit hole for like an hour. And when I came out of that zombie mode, um, I, of course, wasn't feeling great, but I realized that, you know, I have two options here. I can either pile in on myself and tell myself like, oh, I failed and the rest of the day is ruined, or I can just do whatever is best at that moment, how I can take care of myself when I'm obviously feeling bad because I've been in this zombie mode uh, of scrolling. So this is what I really think separates when I started my recovery versus now is in the past, whenever I had a moment of awareness and realized what I was doing, I would just pile on on myself about like, oh, you know, I'm a failure, I'm lazy. And I would just have all this negative self-talk where I'd be beating myself up. And then I would have even more negative emotions. Like I'm already starting from negative emotions because I'm probably browsing to distract myself from something in the first place. And then now I'm having like judgments on top of that. So it really made me feel even worse. And what I didn't realize is that it's clearly like normal behavior to get distracted on the internet. Like people that don't have a problem with surfing also do that. And so I really don't want to pathologize myself by saying that I'm doing something necessarily wrong, even though it's obviously what not what I'd like to do. But when you have social media engineered to hold your attention and also just 
web design in general uh, being as frictionless, as easy to use as possible, like it's totally reasonable to get super distracted. The internet is a distraction machine. So I don't need to follow that up with all these negative self judgments because what I'm doing is a very like human, normal behavior. I would just like to act differently. So all I can do is go from that moment into the future. I can't change what's just happened. So I think that I would also in the past just think if I spent an hour lost in a rabbit hole, if that happened in the morning, I'd be like, oh, my day is over. Like this, uh, this day has just gone to shit. And a lot of times that would be like a self-fulfilling prophecy and that would just be my day. And I wasn't, I just wasn't thinking logically because that's obviously making a, a black and white judgment of, you know, oh, this happened. So obviously the day is ruined when, if I was thinking more logically, I would know what I know now that realistically, like you're, if you have five minutes left of your day before you go to bed, then your day is not over. You can still make a choice and do something that your higher self would thank you for. So this notion of the day being over, uh, might as well scroll for the rest of it. Like, uh, it doesn't really have a basis in, in reality. So it was helpful for me to see things a bit more realistically and just be very mindful of how I'm treating myself in this moment of time in which I'm aware that I've been browsing. You know, I can, I have a choice. I can either pile on and go in with all the negative self-talk or I can be a bit more kind to myself and proceed mindfully in a better way. And this got me thinking, have other people came to the same conclusion that it is so much easier to feel better, change your habits if you're approaching your mistake with a level of kindness? And I looked into it and the answer is yes. Krista Neff is a self-compassion expert and a researcher at UT Austin, and she spearheaded the scientific understanding of self-compassion. So before we get into the more detailed explanation, I want to start by citing the main source for this episode. So it's the paper, The Relationship Between Self-Compassion and Wellbeing, a Meta-Analysis by Ali Zessen. And so basically it has three components in her view. There is what we have already touched on. So self-kindness versus judgment. Uh, Everyone has the tendency to jump right into judgment after we've made a mistake and we tend to judge ourselves very harshly and just add on to our own suffering in this way. And that's definitely something that I was doing in my early recovery because I'm also a bit of a perfectionist. So I was expecting myself to not make any mistakes. And Anytime you're making a lifestyle change, like mistakes and failure is part of that because that's literally how we learn is by doing it wrong and figuring out what not to do. So it's really this mindset shift of from being in a negative headspace to being aware of those self defeating thoughts and actively giving yourself the kindness that kind of beats out the negativity that may be just naturally in your brain. So the second tenet is 
common humanity versus isolation. So it's very common if we are going through a patch of suffering to feel really alone. And it's important to recognize the fact that both failure and also the state of suffering and dissatisfaction is a universal human experience. And even though everyone has different situations, we all know what it's like to be dissatisfied, to want things to change and to make mistakes and to feel like a failure. So uh, suffering is a universal human thing uh, because we have the ability to abstract and think about the future and the past that gives us this unique ability to really get stuck there. (laughs) And uh, that's why another thing that I think is really helpful, especially in the early stages of recovery, is being in a community and both seeking support and also just getting alternate perspectives. So you can see that you're not the only person, even with this specific problem, there's a lot of people out there that can relate very closely to what you're going through. So I'll take a moment to plug Internet and Technology Addicts Anonymous. They have groups uh, all around the U.S., maybe internationally, and then they also have virtual groups, and then also the Cyber Group and Manual Discord server. You can plug that. And the third tenet of self-compassion is mindfulness versus over-identification. So Neff defines over-identification as when you're really focused on the problem and you're ruminating. And there is, here's like another mindset shift of being aware of the negative thoughts and emotions and just letting them exist in your mind without giving them too much importance because thoughts, emotions, it's just kind of the soup that your brain sits in. It's just kind of the phenomena of your brain, but it doesn't always point to reality. And especially for people who deal with depression and anxiety, then a lot of times our thoughts can be very warped. So it's good to practice not taking them super seriously. And the more we tap into the present moment, the more we get these lucid moments where we're waking up from zombie mode and we can make better choices. And (laughs) I've written like, a ton of benefits to mindfulness because I know it's kind of a buzzword, but I think there's a reason that it's becoming more popular because I think it is really like a foundation of behavior change is to be self-aware. And the more you're mindful of emotions, uh, this was really difficult for me. And I consider the large part of my work in recovery to be sitting with my emotions and being mindful of them because that was kind of the core root of the problem for me with internet is that I was escaping my uh, negative emotions instead of facing them and distracting myself. And when I started being mindful of my emotions, I realized they don't last forever. Uh, and that just being aware of them, uh, you can realize like, okay, I can withstand this <laughs> and eventually it fades. And actually, like running over in your mind all of the negatives of the event or 
the emotion or whatever, which is called rumination, that actually increases the duration of the emotion. So this is from a paper called Intensity and Duration of Negative Emotion, comparing the role of appraisals and regulation strategies by Cheryl McCormick. And it just delves into this premise that actually ruminating on the event makes the negative emotion last longer. And the so so overthinking it um, makes you feel worse. And the way to actually shorten the duration of the negative emotion is reappraisal. So reappraisal is kind of what we were talking about before. It's taking noticing a negative thought and instead uh, thinking more optimistically. So say you have a thought like I'm a failure. You can think, okay. I made a mistake and it's not the end of the world or I made a mistake and I'm going to try to do better and just anything that's more optimistic than your original thought. And so making these reappraisals actually changes your experience of emotion because I don't know if anyone is familiar with cognitive behavioral therapy, but basically it is this circle where your thoughts influence your behaviors and they influence your emotions and your behaviors influence your thoughts and they all they all your thoughts behaviors emotions they all influence each other and you can't control your emotions but you can change how you talk to yourself you can control you can't control your automatic thoughts but you can voluntarily think things to yourself and it can feel a little uncomfortable at first because if we're so used to just going on this thought loop of all these negative things actually being optimistic can seem really foreign but you know it actually changes the way you experience negative emotion and i think that as easy as it is to be our own worst critic i think that people deserve to talk to themselves like their friend i think it's very normal to walk around trusting the thoughts that are in our head and taking them as real. And I think this is very dangerous. And a lot of people don't realize that basically we get stuck in the stories that our minds produce and humans are storytellers. And so we're constantly putting meaning into things that maybe aren't that deep. And we do this just automatically without realizing it. And so a lot of times we are just in our heads <laughs> daydreaming. And I think it's important to recognize when we're thinking and acknowledge that this is a mental occurrence. It's the brain telling a story and take it with a grain of salt because it may not be real. And even if it is real, even if your brain is giving you factual information, like who cares? Like, I think that we can choose our beliefs to be more helpful. So I think it's pointless whether or not our beliefs are true, just like, do they help us in the world? And a lot of beliefs that people have about themselves are not doing them any favors, like me believing I was lazy and me believing I was a failure. I, those things weren't doing me any favors. And like, I could sit there all day thinking about like, is this true? And I could find evidence for it because 
people are very good. This is called confirmation bias, where you see your beliefs everywhere and you find evidence for the things you believe. So if you're going to sit there and think like, oh, am I a failure? Like, is it true? If you believe that, you're going to be able to find reasons for it. So that's why I feel like truth isn't even that useful when it comes to the things we believe because it's really hard to be objective about yourself so might as well try to think things that are going to be helpful and maybe that's difficult because i don't even do that all the time but the first step is really just being aware of the narratives in your head and i think when you make a mistake that's a prime time where your inner critic will start chatting away and coming up with all these stories and reinforcing the stories about failure and not being good enough and just anything because i think that part of your brain just wants attention and it'll just it'll just think crazy shit to get you to pay attention to it and it's best to just ignore it not really fight with it, but just be like, okay, negative thought. And then think about like, okay, uh, I'm going to choose to think this. And then like, that's it. You know, there's no need to dwell on it because that's rumination, which we discussed makes you feel worse. So just acknowledging the negative thoughts, coming up with a more kind way to speak to ourselves and not getting too bogged down with trying to figure out if these negative thoughts are true because it really doesn't matter. So we spoke about being mindful of our thoughts and reappraising the situation, using different thoughts, but how do we be mindful of our emotions? And it was a very difficult thing for me to grasp because early in my recovery, I didn't understand what emotions felt like. I just knew if I was in emotional pain or I wasn't, I wasn't able to tell the difference between types of emotions. And eventually I figured out that we have a somatic experience of emotions. So there's like an experience in your body. And that's like a good tell of like when you can feel like, okay, I'm feeling something in my throat right now. I'm feeling something in my stomach. Uh, that was a good tip of just like, okay, this is an intense emotion and I just need to feel it out. And the reason I think this is so relevant to internet addiction is that behavioral addictions are an escape hatch for dealing with negative emotions. It's a coping mechanism when you don't know how else to deal. And for a while I had a really avoidant coping style. And that's when people have different types of coping styles. Sometimes people kind of like fight, flight or freeze, like the fight people <laughs> will face their problems head on. And the flight and freeze people will just avoid the, the problem. And that's definitely what I was doing. Just like running away from my problems and distracting myself. And like when I was a, a neat, you know, unemployed, like I was uh, in non-school, like I was very aware that my situation was not 
sustainable and that it was a problem. But it's completely possible to procrastinate your whole life, <laughs> procrastinate getting a life. And I was just so stressed out about it. I didn't want to even think about it. So I watched videos and browse Reddit the entire day because it was easier than facing my emotions because negative emotions are uncomfortable, definitely. And I wasn't even aware that I was doing this until I got into therapy and realized that I had all these emotions that I was distracting myself from with a myriad of unhealthy coping mechanisms. I was shoving everything down because, and then when it like, when I actually started facing them, like it was so intense. Like I got where I was just so emotionally sensitive that I felt like I was in physical pain because I was so used to repressing everything. And then when it came out, I was like super emotional uh, because it, before I had just been like numb because I was pushing everything down. And I really was just so stressed out about like, okay, you have to find a path in life. And I felt worthless because I didn't have skills because when I was a kid, I, I guess like I was a gifted child. so did well academically and I never really learned how to apply myself like I was a perfectionist like I learned that I could do most things easily and so when it came to something that I didn't know how to do I gave up because it, I was a perfectionist I, I didn't accept the stage of learning where you make a lot of mistakes and I just didn't accept Mistake, so I just didn't try and like I was so I've been browsing the internet consistently since I was about 10 years old so when I was a kid like I had hobbies but at some point I just my hobby became the internet and I wasn't really applying myself or learning any skills and like I dropped out of high school so I didn't have even like academic uh, self-esteem from my academics at that time. I just had like, I had nothing that made me feel like a worthwhile person. And therefore, when I realized that I had a problem, I had no path in life, I just ha saw no way out because I didn't understand how to apply my, how to break down a problem, how to break down a problem into actionable steps and this is also comes from being on the autism spectrum and potentially adhd is that i naturally have really poor executive function so executive function is going to be your planning and your ability to organize your thoughts and plan for the future and i basically the big thing that showed up in my life was like I would someone would say like do something and I couldn't figure out what the first step was and I think some people are able to discern that naturally but for me I have to sit there and think about it and I used to not even be able to do that but I had to teach myself how to how to do that so like I I think part of it is like a black and white thinking you know like you see the problem of like oh get a career like get a life find a path and like that seems so huge because that is huge. 
And you have to break it down into small things. And I didn't start doing that until a therapist gave me that advice. He called it micro steps of like, if there's a task, you have to break it down into incredibly small tasks and, you know, celebrate small successes. And so the way I do that a lot of times, if I need to do an assignment, like the first thing I think of is like, I need to stand up, walk over to my computer, turn on uh, like log in to the website. So my to-do list look completely different now, basically, because it starts with simple. Sometimes I don't put anything that simple on my to-do list. That's kind of like in my brain, but like I consciously think to myself, okay, stand up. Okay. Log in. Okay. Um, read the, the assignment and then like discern what the first, the, a step in my mind is discern what the first step is. And so any way that I can just break things down into incredibly small chunks like that is something my brain can digest and actually work with. And that's how I'm able to, for instance, get homework done. And um, I went off on this rant because I just think this core thing, for me, it was a core thing of avoiding my emotions um, was the root problem of me abusing the internet. So it was the core thing keeping me distracting myself in perpetuity on the internet. But it was also the core thing keeping me stuck in my life because it wasn't just the distraction that was holding me back. It was also the inability to, you know, get tasks done, the procrastination. And both procrastination and the internet binges uh, are problems that are caused by emotional avoidance because when there's a task that you don't want to do, it brings up a negative emotion. And if you're so used to distracting yourself from your negative emotions like I was, then nothing nothing is ever going to get done because the way you know to cope with negative emotions is to go into a fantasy world, is to distract yourself. So for me, being mindful of my emotions was necessary for me to accept my emotions, which was necessary for me to, I don't want to say get over it, but basically get over it and get done the things that I needed to do. And I found an interesting study on this. It's called Experiential Avoidance and Bordering Psychological Constructs as Predictors of the Onset, Relapse, and Maintenance of Anxiety Disorders. And it talks about what I'm talking about, experiential avoidance being a predictor of worsening and continuing of anxiety disorders because when you avoid problems, then... It creates the cycle of always needing to avoid it and that can make you feel powerless and experiential avoidance is a common way to cope with anxiety and it makes anxiety worse and a lot of my anxiety was about just existing like existing in the world i, I think the reason that i'm so drawn to the internet is because it's a, a place of like lower stakes I feel because you have pseudo anonymity. So you're not really all in like you're not talking to someone as a physical human that they can perceive. You're just this entity of words. And I love words, <laughs> obviously. So it's a lot easier for me to be this faceless abstraction of words than for me to stand in front of someone and 
be judged by them because I'm just very afraid of people's judgment. And I think that's just part of why I got super into forms and, you know, parasocial relationships with YouTubers and things like that, because it's just, it's low stakes with parasocial relationships. Like there are no stakes, like that person has no opinions of you. And so it, it feels safe. But in the real world, like stuff goes wrong, you know, like you say the wrong thing and a person responds negatively. And that's something I avoided for a long time because it really stresses me out when I say the wrong thing and someone reacts negatively to it or I hurt their feelings. That's the worst for me. But yeah, so the Internet is for for me was just this bubble where there was no stakes like I could just eavesdrop on people's Reddit conversations and never have to put myself out there and never be rejected. <laughs> and me, like, obviously needing social connection because I'm a human and seeking it out only through parasocial relationships and reading through reading forms and stuff like that is experiential avoidance. And that and that worsened my social anxiety because I wasn't putting myself out there, so I wasn't used to it. Yeah, like basically, if we can be aware of our emotions, then we can feel them and do what we need to do despite the negative emotions. And it's really difficult. I really recommend The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris, and I can summarize it now, but basically, it's just about we can't get rid of our psychological demons like they're gonna be there but we need to live the life we want to live regardless of negative storylines those negative emotions that keep coming back we need to just do, do the things that are important to us because you can't really find happiness by looking for it <laughs> you find happiness by putting meaning into your life and if you're doing something meaningful then it'll hurt that's because you care about it and so if the goal is to be happy then you're going to find yourself on this like roller coaster but if the goal is to do things that are important to you then that's like actually an achievable goal so yeah i, I was basically just stuck in this place where i was letting my i was letting my negative emotions control me and i was not doing something if it gave me a negative emotion and it's just, you, I, I wasn't doing anything worthwhile that was important to me because I just wasn't able to tolerate negative emotion. So being able to sit with my thoughts and feel, or with my emotions and my thoughts, but specifically being able to sit with my emotions and feel them and not run away uh, was when I was able to make the change and stop this procrastination distraction cycle and be an agent in my life and not controlled by my negative emotions. And I, and I did a lot of therapy, specifically acceptance and commitment therapy, uh, which is what that book that I mentioned is about, all about just <laughs> accepting your emotions and, and doing what you value anyways. And we did a lot of just noticing like what i was talking about before the somatic experience in the body of like what does this physically feel like and even um picturing an emotion like describing it like does it 
this emotion feels like a balloon in my chest or whatever. Like, because if you can describe it, then you've kind of stepped outside of it and you've become the observer of your emotion instead of feeling like the emotion is you. And then if you're able to cultivate this observer mindset over your emotions, then they don't feel as powerful anymore. So that's how you're able to move forward even with the negative emotions is by being mindful. So you may or may not be asking, can I actually be mindful on the internet? And this is a good question because the internet, specifically current internet, social media especially, is designed to be seamless, to... It's designed to have no friction and friction is anything that makes you think anything that you have to apply a little mental effort. Uh, you basically don't want that when you're building a website. So the entire internet is designed to put the user in this kind of flow state where they're just in a trance. And so it is going to happen. You are going to get sucked into the trance regularly. It happens to me almost every single day, but the difference between the difference between my early recovery and where I'm at now is when I notice that I've been in a rabbit hole, I make the choice to do something else. So getting sucked in is not a failure. That is just being a human and having a brain that is distractible and having a brain that is susceptible to the flow experience that has been engineered into the internet. So it's not a reason to beat yourself up at all. And it's not even a mistake in my opinion, because the moment that I try to prioritize is the moment that I realized that I've been sucked in. And this is a time where I usually have to face some negative emotions because maybe there was a negative emotion that was making me scroll in the first place, or maybe I'm beating myself up or wasting time. And so I just pause and acknowledge what's happening and what I'm feeling and make sure that I'm not beating myself up, that I'm being friendly to myself and that I'm extending kindness to myself and an understanding that this is a human behavior <laughs> and it's okay. And from that place, I can think like, okay, what is the next best step I can make to really take care of myself? And Sometimes I still need to do something on the phone. There was a reason I picked it up and sometimes I don't. So just being able to intercept that negative self-talk that I would have in my early recovery of feeling like a failure because it's it's not a failure. It's It's normal behavior and all we can do is acknowledge when we come out of zombie mode and we come out of the trance and make the best decision. So all this self-compassion stuff, it sounds really new agey and silly, right? But does it actually work? And in the meta-analysis that I mentioned up top, they found that practicing self-compassion improves psychological well-being, period. So that's a causation, not just a correlation. They prove that these uh, self-compassion, they prove that these self-compassion exercises does make people happier and improve their psychological well-being so and i've really noticed it in my own recovery like when i am being kinder to myself when i'm being mindful 
of my thoughts, emotions, and behavior when I'm connected with the community and and not feeling alone, then I do feel happier. So in summary, remember you're not changing your tech habits because you want to be mad at yourself all the time. You're doing this because you want it better for your life. And that desire comes from a place of kindness towards yourself. Maybe because you want to give yourself the gift of a more intentional life. Therefore, self-compassion is incredibly important on this path to better digital habits. So if you're wondering where to get started with learning more self-compassion, Kristen Neff's website has a bunch of really amazing guided meditations. And also, if you're looking to reach out and connect with the community, I will link the Internet Technology Addicts Anonymous website and the link to the Cyborg Repair Manual server in the show notes. Thanks for listening to our show. If you're interested in any of the topics discussed today, check out the Cyborg Repair Manual Discord server. The link is in the show notes.